Good morning to you. Welcome to Grace Presbyterian Church. The Lord be with you. This morning we gather to remember God's goodness, to worship together, to be encouraged. God's Spirit brings you grace this morning. If you are new to grace or if you're new to our community, I hope you feel welcomed. Um, God calls His people to be hospitable because He has been hospitable to us. And so we gather to worship before God who welcomes us. The call to worship is from Psalm 47. If you'd please stand, we'll say this responsively together as we enter into His presence as His people. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. Let's sing together. majestic in all your ways. It boggles our minds to think that you hear us even now, that you pay attention to us, that you bring to us grace so that we might know the glory of your Father. And by the power of your Spirit, would you enable our hearts to ascend to the reality that you are good to us, that you've invited us to believe, and as we unite our faith to your message of the gospel, that we are restored and renewed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The confession of faith this morning is taken from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and John and 1 Corinthians and Revelation that we might confess what it is we believe as followers of Jesus. And so let's read this together. This is the good news that we have received in which we stand and by which we are saved. If we hold it fast that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day, and that He appeared first to the women, then to Peter, to the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is our Lord and our God. Our God welcomes us 
we confess that we trust in Jesus as our Savior. Let's sing together here in this place. Please be seated. Our call to renewal this morning comes from Psalm 139. Hear the word of our Lord. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As we come to our time of confession this morning, it's a scary thing often for us to be known. We often ask questions like, will I be loved? Will I be accepted? Will I be forgiven? Will I be rejected? And deep down at our cores, we all long to be known, to be loved, to be accepted. The amazing thing about the God of the Bible is that there's no hiding from him. He knows us. He knows everything about us intimately. We can hide from ourselves. We can hide from the people around us, but there's no hiding from him. And the amazing thing is what the gospel teaches us is that our God knows us deeply and he loves us and he sends his son to come rescue us and to save us and to bring us into a relationship with him that even though we're sinful and broken and rebellious, 
our God pursues us and knows us and loves us and makes us his children. So let's go before him together confessing, trusting that his grace is sufficient to save us. Let's confess together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been. Help us to amend what we are and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Please take the next few moments to privately reflect and confess, trusting that Jesus knows you and loves you and offers his forgiveness towards you. Please take a few moments now. Father, we thank you that we can come to you laying ourselves bare before you, knowing that you love us, that you offer forgiveness and renewal, that you promise to make us new, and that one day when we see Jesus, we will be like him. So, Father, we thank you for your kindness towards us and your grace towards us in the midst of our brokenness and our failures and our rejection of you. We confess that we need you and love you. It's in Christ's name we come. Amen. Please stand for our words of encouragement from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 8. Jeremiah writes this, I will cleanse them from all their guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Brothers and sisters, this morning, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you've come to him in faith and in repentance, this promise is yours. Our God promises to forgive all of our sin, every bit of it. It's the best news that we have to offer this morning, and so let's lift our hearts and our voices as we sing of his grace and the promise of what it means to be his by singing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. Thank you. 
come now to the prayers of the people. This is an opportunity in our worship where we come before our God having confessed our sins, having been restored to right relationship with him, being welcomed in as his sons and daughters. And we come now to him, our father, our king, our savior, our friend, with everything that we have, with all of our hopes, with all of our dreams, with all of our fears, our disappointments, with all of our pain and our sorrow and our sadness. And we have a God who welcomes us, who hears us, who loves us, and who promises to work through our prayers in ways that we can't even fathom or imagine. So let's go before him together, and we will uh, pray the Lord's Prayer in just a few moments together. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of our lives and your creation. We thank you for this earth, for the promise that you will one day bring about its redemption and our own. We do pray for your church this morning in all of her diversity, gathered out of every nation and family and tribe and tongue. We thank you for those churches gathering throughout your world to worship you this morning and especially in this community. We pray especially for Impact Church here in the Woodlands, for their pastor Roche Coleman, for his many years of faithful service to this community, for his family and his staff. We thank you for their partnership in the gospel and ask that you would continue to use them to further your kingdom here in the woodlands. We pray that your church would be known by her grace and humility, by her unity and by her commitment to truth and wisdom and love and compassion. We pray that you would fulfill your purposes for her and through her in your world. May we show your love and grace in all that we do and may we be known for how well we love those around us. This week, Father, our hearts are heavy with our neighbors in Uvalde. We cry out with the psalmist, how long, O Lord? How long before you cut off every expression of evil? How long before the wicked will be no more? How much longer is just a little while? When will violence and horror end? It's hard not to feel fearful and angry when helpless children are being needlessly attacked. Father, we pray not in self-righteous judgment, but as your weary children longing for the day when perfect peace will replace evil and darkness, when the wolf and the lamb will lie, will lie together, when guns and knives will become tools for agriculture and harvest. Until that day, Father, free us from cynicism 
and a thirst for revenge. Make us warriors of peace and agents of hope. Replace our frets and our fears and our anxiety with faith and trust and hope. Our labors in you are never in vain because Jesus defeated evil on the cross and so we trust in the promise that he will return and eradicate all evil when he comes back. And so we beg, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, grant us wisdom to know what loving mercy and doing justice and walking humbly with you looks like in every place we find ourselves. We pray for the many families that have lost children and loved ones this week. Bring comfort and hope in the midst of despair and hopelessness. We pray for your people in Uvalde. Bring encouragement and comfort. Hear the groanings of those in grief and pain and provide your presence. We pray for hospital workers and counselors and churches and pastors and believers and neighbors who are showing up to love and serve well. Grant them your compassion and grace. May your gospel impact and transform the lives and hearts in the community scarred by this senseless tragedy. And Father, for our community here this morning, we are deeply thankful for it, and we pray that you would use us to extend your kingdom through love and living out your gospel. We do know that among us there are many needs in this room for those who are battling illness whether physical or mental or emotional or spiritual, we ask for health and for recovery. For those who are weighed down by discouragement and addiction and grief, we ask for your grace to reign and for the freedom and the hope and rest and comfort that's possible through and because of your gospel. For those with broken relationships, we beg for healing and repentance and humility. You are a God that brings life from death, so help us to look for and to hope for the resurrection in every area of our lives. We pray that your kingdom would come in our bodies, in our relationships, in our hearts, in our community, and in our church. We ask that we would take hold of your vision for your kingdom, that we would labor to love our neighbors and to seek the good of those around us. We ask that you hear us now as we pray the prayer that your son has taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now may the peace of Christ be with you. Please stand and extend Christ's peace to one another. Children ages 4 through 2nd grade are dismissed to Children's Church.
You may be seated. My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do so after the service. I'm going to add my welcome to Brad's. A um, couple quick announcements for you. Um, this week is VBS Prep Week. So it's, yeah, get excited. Um, so from 9 to 12 every day this week, we'll be gathering here at the church, getting things set up and ready for VBS. Yes, we know that tomorrow is Memorial Day. Um, if you have plans and parties and commitments, be free. You don't have to come, but we'll be here. Um, so if you want to, you can. Uh, but definitely Tuesday through Friday, we'll be getting things set up. Um, VBS is the 6th through the 10th. So if you, there are still spots available, so please still register your kids or your friends and neighbors. Um, you can register on behalf of them and just send them, and they'll be excited to come. Um, we're really looking forward to, to getting to have VBS this year. So please be praying for the kids and the families that will be participating. Uh, be praying for our volunteers and leaders throughout the week. Um, and then we're going to cap off VBS on June 12th with our end of the year summer kickoff pool party, which will be at Cranebrook this year. So like it'll be there um, instead of somewhere else in the Woodlands. So we're really excited. That'll be from 6 to 7.30 on June 12th. Again, invite your friends and neighbors. Come hang out. Um, we just ask that you bring a, a dessert to share. We're going to provide food and drinks. Um, so put that on your calendars and invite your friends and neighbors to that. Um, we come now to our time of offering. Uh, this is an opportunity in our worship for us to respond to the amazing grace and kindness that our God has shown us. We, re we respond with gratefulness to the wonder and love and his provision for us. And so uh, if grace is your church home, if this is the place that you call home and is your family, um, we can respond with gratitude and generosity to the God who's given us so much. Um, let's give now with great joy to the one who's held nothing back from us.
Thank you. Well, we come now to um, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, in the middle there, 12 to 18. And I just, before I read that text, I want to kind of catch you up on where we are in Philippians. Um, what Paul's been doing, you know, this is a very personal letter that he's writing. This is not, the book of Philippians is not a like random theological treatise that this theologian Paul wrote and kind of throws it out there and says, hey, church, listen. No, no, no. This is a letter written by Paul who knows the people in Philippi, and he's writing this letter because he loves them, and he wants them to hear it. And um, as you start the letter, you know, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And so he opens with that. Like, that, that's fundamental for us to understand that if you want to know what God's approach is, like if there's one thing you're going to take away from today, God desires to bring you grace and peace through Jesus Christ. And then Paul tells us who Jesus is. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and following, there's this, very, there's this beautiful Christological hymn where we learn about who Jesus is. And Paul splits it up and says he's the most humble of all, but he's also the greatest of all. He comes as a servant to us, but he's also the king of heaven and earth whose name is above all names, who, before whom every knee will bow. And so there's these first two elements of understanding Jesus comes to bring peace, this message of the gospel that we embrace by faith. Jesus himself is the servant king. And then Paul moves into this section uh, in verses 12 and following where he sort of lays out in, in, in some ways what it means for us to be followers of this high king who brings us this message of grace. It actually gives us the ability to sort of assess kind of where we are spiritually in some ways. You know, he says in verse 14, you know, do everything without grumbling and complaining. And we're going to talk about that. But if you think about what grumbling and arguing is, it's really like a posture of protest. Like, do you have a posture of protest towards the world and towards God or towards others? Paul's saying, look, because of this message of grace, because of this king who loves you, comes as a servant, it actually transforms the way in which you interact with the world. And how do you assess that? Well, how do you assess anything? You know, how do we know if our roof at Grace Presbyterian Church works well? Uh, because it keeps the weather out, right? Or a car, how do you assess if a car is good? It gets you from point A to point B. And those things are kind of easy and objective and out there, but what about assessing your spirituality? Or assessing relationships? Or assessing politics? Or assessing what goes on in the world around us. Like, how do we assess such things? So, as I read this, I want you to be thinking about what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, when he says this, or 21, um, who, referring to Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. This message that Paul is writing the Philippians that we're meant to take in is a message that is meant to come to us and offer something transformative. Something that God is able to do in us as we hear his word and take it. And it's why this series is called The Mind of a Disciple. Philippians is helping us think about what it means for us to follow the God of heaven and earth who says, I bring you grace and joy and peace. I give you my son who's a servant king and now therefore follow him in his ways. Okay, so Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will 
and to act in order to fulfill His good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And so the, the thing we're going to be talking about today is the idea of where do we find salvation. And this has been something I've thought a lot about this week. Um, you know, when you, when you think about what's gone on in our country in the past two weeks between what happened in Buffalo and what happened in Uvalde, um, you know, you begin to ask the question, like, where is our salvation? And I remember this week thinking and hearing about the stories of parents and grandparents and teachers and other children and all the things that have come out um, in Uvalde in the past week and you know Thursday morning you know I work on my sermons throughout the week and I just found myself kind of writing the sermon like over and over and over again like different aspects of it because when you live in a world like ours you ask the question like where is our salvation and I remember driving away from my house coming to work which for me is this building so I drove to church and um, on my way here I passed through a couple different school zones and I pass through this one school zone, and I'm sitting there thinking about all these stories and just the news cycle and the things that, that are coming out. And um, I look to my left, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I see this little girl on a pink bicycle. And she's driving down, and she's got her cool little white helmet on, and she's just biggest grin in the world on Thursday morning. And, um, or maybe it was Wednesday morning. And she turns away from the school towards a crosswalk. And I was coming up to that intersection. I was kind of nervous. I was like, what is she doing? Like, School's that way. Which way is she going? And then I, you know, I'm paying attention a little more, and she stops and puts her, feet, you know, her legs on both sides of the bike, and then she has this huge smile, and she raises this gift, and the crosswalk guard comes towards her and says, you know, I don't know what she said, but it was clearly like expressing gratitude, and they kind of hug, and I just thought that is so beautiful to see her show this giving of thanks, and then like I'm like, what a juxtaposition of things that going are going on in our world. There's incredible suffering in this world. There's also, a, somehow in the midst of it, there's places of joy, and we're right in the middle of it. And how do we navigate that? Like, where is our salvation? You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 that we're eagerly waiting for, him, for Jesus to do his thing, to transform us, to transform our world. It's not a passive waiting. It's he's, we're eagerly waiting. And as Christians, and we think about having the mind of a disciple, actually our lives are meant to attach to a God who is redeeming the world in the midst of a world that is very much in redeeming of it. A world where he is at work, and somehow as disciples we participate with him. And so the two ideas I'm going to have us think about this morning is the idea of how do we find salvation in our relationships, and how does that relate to finding salvation in general, in following God. You know, the idea of salvation is the idea of a certain hope. What in this world can you hope in that is not based on your power? It's not based on your ability to make sense of it. It's not based on your ability to hold things together. It's not based on the ability of other people to destroy it, but a salvation that is secured by the King of heaven and earth, the one we read about in Philippians chapter 2, 
who's, who, whose name is above all names, who's at the highest place, who's the king of heaven and earth, and he comes to bring his father glory. How do we attach to that? You know, relationships are the sort of testing ground for what we believe about Jesus. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You want to know what you really think about who Christ Jesus is? We look in our relationships. How do I treat other people? How do I think about other people? How do I approach other people? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul moves into these first verses of the text this morning. And you can't help but read it and think about relationships. Think about Paul's relationship for a moment. Therefore, my dear friends. You know, who, who in your life do you think of as a dear friend? You see, Paul has had a little bit of a transformation here. He used to be a persecutor of the church. He used to stand by while Christians were murdered. He used to chase them down. And now he's writing to the, the Christians in Philippi, and he's saying, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In the context of this relationship, we're seeing redemption happen. We're seeing reconciliation happen. Or consider the relationship that the Philippians have with their God, the same kind of relationship we have with God. Paul writes, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you, do you think of your relationship with God as something where God is engaging with you and interacting with you to will and to work out his purposes, his good purposes in your life? I remember talking to a mentor of mine one time, and I was like, how do I... Like, I know that God's word says that that's who he is, but like, I don't quite understand everything. And sometimes I'm, I don't, like, why would I do these things he's calling me to, like sacrifice or be humble or look out for the good of others? Like, what about me? Who's going to take care of me? And this, this mentor of mine said, you know, it all starts with this. Do you really believe that God's purposes are good? In and of themselves, like that that's the starting of the conversation, that God's will for you is good. Because if you actually believe that God's will is good, you're going to trust him over your heart's conclusions. You're going to trust him over even the difficulties of this world. And I was like, well, that's a process. He goes, right. That's what we call sanctification. You're in a process of growing. You're in a process of learning. But are you actively engaging in your relationship with the God who says, I am at will in, my works are at will in you. My acts, the things that I'm doing, I'm willing these things in you, and it's for a good purpose, a relationship. And then verse 14, we have more pictures of relationships. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do you ever have grumbling or arguing in any of your relationships ever, anywhere? Like, I certainly do. I, I think every relationship where I have a person I actually care about, I know anything about them, the question is like, I hope we don't grumble and argue today. You know, I hope we don't grumble and argue about this conflict. Like, Paul's saying, okay, let me just ground zero it here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Man, if you ever needed convincing that we live in a generation where warped and crooked things can happen, it has happened. Where is our salvation in the midst of that moment? Like, where is our salvation in the midst of things that are worth arguing about or worth grumbling about? Like, where, where is Paul leading us in this? 
You know, there's an invitation to invest in a relationship that's looking for salvation outside of that particular relationship. The way in which we know how to love each other, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's meant to give you a lot of encouragement and strength as you think about what it means pursuing other people and understanding what it means to have healthy relationships. We're meant to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And the fruit of it, the fruit of pursuing that, Paul says here, is that we become children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, and then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. There it is. God has a word of life for us. Where do you want to find life? In your relationships, in your life, in the relationships with others have in your relationship with God, there's actually a word of life that the Lord has for us as we lean into what it means to knowing Christ and Him crucified. So a few kind of reflections here on this. How do you find, what do you do with warped relationships? What do you do with relationships that are in confusion? Now personally, I try lots of approaches. Like I'll sit back and I'll think, okay, well maybe if I approach them like this, or maybe if I do this, and that's a healthy thing to do. But what about those relationships that there, there doesn't seem to be able to be reconciliation for? There's plenty of examples of this. What do we do with those sorts of things? We hold firmly to the word of life. Sometimes that's our answer. In the midst of a crooked and warped and difficult reality that we lived in, sometimes we have to say this, you know, I don't know, but what I do know is this, is that God has a word of life for us. And I'm going to cling to that in the context of my relationships. Rather than resorting to grumbling or fighting it out, I'm actually going to resort to believing that God's ways lead to life. You know, where is that for you? Um, I actually had this experience this week, and I warned Jamie I was going to tell this story. But this may surprise you to know that sometimes your pastor and his wife argue. Like, we have arguments. Like, Jamie and I are both pretty strong-willed, and we don't always agree about everything. And sometimes those arguments end with us just kind of like, kind of going our own direction and kind of, you know, okay, we'll just let this dissolve. I don't know how to deal with this. You're being unreasonable. You're being unreasonable, you know, whatever. Well, Jamie came to me that evening and said, okay, we need to do something. I was like, okay, what? You know, what do we need to do? What do you need to do, Right. She says, okay, we're going to do this. We're bo- I think we need some words of affirmation. Like, I am going to tell you five things that I love about you and appreciate about you, and then you're going to do the same for me. I'm not going to tell you what we said. So sorry, you don't get that close into our marriage. But she told me five things that she appreciates about me, and I'm just sitting there like, you know, the first one I'm like, okay, what five am I going to say? By the third word, I was thinking, oh. Oh, she's, she's actively believing that there's a word of life in our marriage if she'll love me like Jesus loves me, even though it's costly for her. Because what if I would have had a different attitude? Well, I, can't, I can only think of two, so I'm just going to tell you two things that I appreciate about you, whatever. God brings healing in our relationships. Salvation can be found in our relationships when we love each other as Christ has loved us. Or to use Paul's words, these ancient words, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? Being made nothing. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to death. Why? 
Because his father said, I'm going to make your name above all names. I'm going to, uh, you're going to be the king of heaven and earth. You're going to die for these people that I love, and I'm going to be glorified. And when God is glorified, life is the result. Something to pray for yourself, for your marriages. God, be glorified in my relationships. Because what you're asking for is God to bring resurrection, for God to bring renewal, for God to bring his stuff into your stuff. And when his stuff comes into your stuff, life is the result. There's a word of life as we live by faith and look for salvation for our relationships in his word versus winning an argument. I mean, how many arguments have you had where both people are arguing and one of them finally goes, you know what? You're right, and, and I love you. That's not a word of life. It doesn't lead there. This is the way that leads to life. Salvation even for our relationships. And God is calling us to live into it and even practice it. You know, what do you practice? You know, some of you know I play guitar. I've talked about that before. I'll turn on a YouTube video. I'll listen to music. I'll find the right tone on my guitar and I'll play it. I probably won't play it for you. If you're a guitar player, I'll play with you. We can do that together. But I, I would say I'm like growing in my competency in playing guitar in different ways. Are you growing in your ability to imitate Jesus in those close relationships you have and with the bigger relationships you have? God intends that for us. For us to be so transformed and shaped by what he's doing in our lives that we begin to echo it towards other people. To where Paul can say, do everything without grumbling or arguing to no longer be defined by the protest against the argument, but actually to stand for the word of life that leads to reconciliation. It doesn't mean we're not a people of conviction. We very much are. It just means we believe that salvation is found in what Jesus says is the ultimate thing for us, which is him and his Father's glory. So salvation in our relationships comes through trusting in Jesus. But what about, to take it to the next level, salvation in following Jesus, period. Or as Paul says here, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Like, what does it mean for us to work out our salvation with, with fear and trembling? Think about this in a different, again, a different context for a moment. If you were in the Grand Canyon right now, and, and someone said to you, hey, go check out the edge, like go look over the edge, that's a bad idea for so many reasons. It's a bad idea because it's high. It's also a bad idea because if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you can see that the, actually it comes like way, it comes like this. So you're standing out here and the dirt's real thin up here and it gets bigger, but people fall off all the time. What would it mean to, why, why does that example sort of work when you're thinking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling? The reason you wouldn't run up on the Grand Canyon's corner is because you understand what it is. Paul is saying, if you really understand who God is, if you really understand what it is he offers you, you're going to work out your salvation. And this idea of fear and trembling for us is sort of confusing because when we hear fear and trembling, we think of, okay, so like obedience by fear? Like we're supposed to be terrified into following God? Well, see, working out your salvation, fear and trembling is an idiom. It's a phrase that if you just try to take the meaning just from those words by themselves, you're going to miss the context. You're going to miss what it's saying. It's like when my sons say this to me, sup, dad? I know what that means is, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? But if you're into paddleboarding, SUP means stand up paddleboard. And so you might say, oh, sure, let's go paddleboarding, right? Or if someone says, hey, man, you cool? I'm like, I live in Texas. No, I'm not cool unless I'm inside or outside, right? It means, hey, are you doing all right? Like, you cool. 
Like it's an idiom. So Paul's saying here, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, and there's something that's meant to be communicated there. One writer said this, fear and trembling is a common biblical phrase describing the response of due reverence in face of a major challenge, and especially in the presence of God and his mighty acts. Paul does not imply cowering in terror, but with due awe and reverence, taking seriously the responsibilities of Christian obedience and Christian citizenship. Here, fear and trembling are the appropriate disposition because God is the one who is at work within you, as we read in verse 13. There is quite probably an element of admonition in this phrase. It contrasts with a casual Christianity's approach of ignoring God in practice and treating Him as if He didn't matter. One of the key things for us following Jesus and finding our salvation and following Him in the daily aspects of our lives is to begin to ask ourselves this question. Where am I living as if God doesn't matter? Where, where am I acting? Where am I trusting? What am I doing that's actually saying the, who God is is irrelevant in this situation? I'm just I'm pushing this direction. You know, maybe it's in the area of um, your relationships. Like you're just trying to muscle through your relationships and that's how you're going to do it. Look, you actually need the power of the resurrection in your relationships. Maybe it's healing physically or spiritually or emotionally. God invites us to say, God, you matter here. You promise resurrection. You tell us to eagerly wait for you to work. Please work. Bring your power to bear. Or provision. You know, if you're, one of the things that's most nerve-wracking about being a parent is trying to keep your kids safe. We're pretty good at it when they're little, and as they get bigger, they need to grow up and be adults, and it gets really difficult for us. Um, I still track my kids, my adult kids. Like, I still know where they are at all times. Just, there's like this element of wanting to like, know your kids and protect them. Do you want to know the best way to protect your kids? Lord, please help my kids understand how much you love them. Use me to help them understand that. Above all things, Lord, would you help them understand how much you care for them? God matters in that moment. Or for protection or for travel or anything. Like God's inviting us into believing he matters in the small stuff and, of course, the big stuff. Again, that verse 16, it's such a beautiful verse. As we hold firmly to the word of life, where in this life are you not holding firmly to the word of life? God's inviting you to begin to do that. And in doing it, you're actually becoming a faithful disciple. You know, one of the places God gives to us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to rightly understand who he is, is what we're doing in our worship service. We meet every week to hear the scriptures read, to hear the word preached, to celebrate the supper, to sing together, to pray together, because God uses that to strengthen our faith. When you read the scriptures throughout the week, when you think of God throughout the week, when you pray to him throughout the week, those are all things God's using to help you work out your salvation with fear and, tri- <clears throat> fear and trembling. Listen to these verses. This is from Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name for in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. Or Isaiah chapter 26, verse 2, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. We're actually not meant to just figure it out on our own. We're meant to be people who have a God who says, I will be your eternal rock. I will be the one who gives you peace. 
Come to me, and I will offer you grace sufficient for you. Now, I don't know if you care about Top Gun, but it came out yesterday, right? Top Gun came out. I've been watching some different little previews about it. And um, James Corden, if you know who that is, um, he did this interview with Tom Cruise. And the scene, the bit, it's a bit, it sort of starts with James standing on the tarmac, and Tom Cruise shows up in this airplane. He says, hey, come on, James. I'm going to take you for a ride. He said, okay. James gets in. He's clearly nervous. He's very anxious about it. He doesn't want to fly. And Tom takes him to another place where they get in a fighter jet. And James begins to realize that he's about to go on a, a bunch of maneuvers with Tom Cruise, the movie star, in an actual fighter plane. And James is very nervous about it. Well, as the bit kind of goes on, there, there's one scene where they're doing kind of a flyby. And all you can see is James Corden with a sign in the window that says, Help me help me, you know, please deliver me. And it's meant to be funny, and of course, you know, Tom's learned to fly a plane, that's amazing or whatever, but, but the reason it's funny is because everyone knows James doesn't, he does, he's not really secure that Tom can deliver him. He's not really sure that Tom can land the plane, right? When you think about your relationship with God, you're going to go through struggles of wondering if God is faithful. You're going to have things happen in your world where you say, where is God in this? You have two options. You can listen to other things to tell you who God is, or you can listen to what, who God tells you who He is. God tells you in Isaiah and Philippians, throughout the Scriptures, you can trust in me. You don't have to wonder about my inadequacies. I don't have any. I'm the King of heaven and earth. My grace is sufficient for you. Salvation is found here. Now, that sounds nice, right? God is powerful for us. We need Him. He offers us His grace. That's all good but I'm struggling to make that work. The spiritual journey can be very discouraging at times, especially if, you're, if there's difficult things happening in your life or if you've been praying something and longing for something. Again, I just want to remind you um, to think about where Paul is in this moment when he's writing this letter. He says at the end of this text we read, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's writing this letter from prison. He's writing this letter distant from those that he loves. Where on earth is Paul finding the strength to be able to have this kind of like happy attitude in the midst of incredible suffering? Where's his salvation? Well, hear this again. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do you hear that? It is actually impossible for you to just muster up enough strength to be the super Christian that you think people might expect you to be, or to muster up enough strength to never have a bad day. Like, you're not capable of that strength on your own. In fact, that's why the scriptures say it's God who does this in you. One of the things we pray as those who are disciples, those who are following Jesus, is God, would you increase my faith? Would you help me to believe where I'm struggling? Would you help me to rest in you, but to actively follow you? You know, it's kind of like going on vacation. For some of you, the idea of a vacation to go sit on a beach for seven days and be able to sit in the same chair for seven days and just rest sounds like a perfect vacation. Can I tell you why it's not? Because you're going to need something to drink. Uh, you're going to need food. What if a crab comes up and bites your toe? What if the tide comes in? You can't just sit there. There's some level of you resting and being active. And the Christian life is like that. You are meant to rest in God's grace, but to actively pursue Him. That active pursuit that God enables you to do by faith is what we mean by having the mind of a disciple. 
Paul says here, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped or crooked generation. It's God who makes us pure. He offers that, he offers that to us in Christ. But as we seek to be defined by God's grace instead of protest, which is what grumbling and arguing is, instead of being defined by protest, we're defined by what? Being children of God. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. There's nothing more beautiful than looking into a sky filled with beautiful stars. If you're in a dark place, maybe relationally, and you find someone who's able to encourage you, it's like a light. God is actually telling us, as we seek to follow Jesus, He makes us beacons of light. It's why we don't actually have admission fees to worship on Sunday morning here at Grace Presbyterian Church. We want anybody who wants to hear about God's grace and how much He loves them and the hope that He offers to be able to come freely to know His presence and to know His mercies. My encouragement for you this week, because I don't know what's ahead. I don't know what you're going to have to face next week. What I know for a certain is that this is the God who will be with you. This is the one who says to you, my dear friends, obey because I love you. Trust in me not to get my favor, but because you already have my favor and my ways lead to life. May God enable us to trust His grace enough to rest in Christ, but to find our salvation in Him alone and to be able to actively pursue Him. Let's pray together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord Jesus, we do come before you this morning and thinking about what Paul says here in Philippians chapter 2, that you're calling us to find our salvation in your promises to us, that you're telling us that you're the one who wills and acts in us that we might trust you, that we might be children of light because you offer us grace. Lord, as we live in the midst of what can be a very crazy world at times, would you, be a, would you help us be a people reminded of your grace so much that we cling to your word of life? Help us be, help us be people who have opportunities to tell others about that word of life, that in Christ, in our King, the one who is our humble servant, that there's life to be found. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach the table this morning, it's, an, it's a picture for us to be able to see the humility of our King, and yet also that He is the King of the world. Our, our Savior, His body broken for us, His blood shed for us, but we're at His table. And Jesus tells us as we take and eat and drink by faith, that actually we're participating in what he's doing. And so this morning, as you celebrate, do so by faith. Ask God to increase your faith, to be gracious to you, to encourage you. Therefore, lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. And together we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing and prepare our hearts for communion?
pray with me. Lord Jesus, we celebrate now your great sacrifice for us. We give thanks that you have made a way for us to experience peace with God. That you enable us to actually pray the prayer to ask that you be glorified in our lives because you've made a way through your sacrifice. Help us to take hold of the word of life. On the night that our Savior was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it And he said, this is my body given for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We'll have two stations set here up front. Once those are ready, you can make your way down the center. If you prefer grape juice, it's in the outer ring of each tray.
Again, thank you for being here today. If you would raise your hands and receive the Lord's blessing. Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Now let us go forth to serve this community and the world as those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.